Lord, we come to you longing for your truth, your word, your spirit, your strength to flood and fill our lives. Lord, we need you. Sometimes, Father, in the, in the hustle and bustle of our lives and the busyness and the distractedness that is each and every day, it's easy to lose sight of your great love for us. I'm reminded, Lord, of the story of Mary and Martha as Mary was distracted, or Martha rather, was distracted with many things, but Mary chose to sit at your feet. Lord, we, we choose in this moment to sit at your feet. Lord, to sit at your feet and to hear your words spoken into our hearts and into our minds. Lord, help us to, to set aside the things that distract us. Help us to set aside that weight and that sin that so easily besets us. Help us, Lord, to draw near to you in these moments so that we could truly receive from your spirit that implanted word which is able to save our souls. Lord, we ask for open hearts today that, that you would help us to receive that which you have for us and that we would be changed by it. Lord, help us to be mindful of the truth that your word conveys to our hearts and minds. Help us to think on it, to respond to it. May it transform us through the renewing of our minds today. Lord, fill this place with your spirit and anoint your word as it's taught here from the pulpit and in the Sunday school classrooms. And may your people, Lord, be blessed and edified and strengthened in their faith as we seek your face together today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue our study on the full armor of God. Today our text is in verse 17, but as has been our practice, we'll begin reading in verse 10, in which Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, our text today is verse 17. In fact, it is the first half of verse 17, that very short phrase, and take the helmet of salvation. A helmet is a vital piece 
of equipment for both the soldier and for the athlete. I don't know if any of you have ever played football, but to to think of going out on the field to engage in that battle without your helmet is almost unthinkable. Because if you do that, you're asking for a concussion. You're asking really for brain damage. And, and, And sometimes when we go out into the world without having the helmet of salvation firmly in place upon our head, we suffer what could only be described as brain damage. Or in other words, we are responding to the situations in and around us in a manner that is not in keeping with the reality of our position in Christ. Now, don't ask me to say that again, because I'm not sure I could if I tried. But the point that I'm trying to make is this. The helmet of salvation that we wear, that is placed upon our head, should protect our minds against the attacks of the enemy by being a filter through which we interpret the world around us. It should impact the way that we think. Now, I want you to notice a subtle difference in our text in terms of how we as believers are to relate to these different pieces of armor. Look with me at verse 13, it says, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Do you notice each of these is past tense? Having done this already, having this upon you, you see these elements of the armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet that are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, these are positional things within the life of the believer. We have already received these parts of the armor and they are already upon us. And listen, we are not to take them off. You, you as I said before, should sleep with those things on, Right? just as Nehemiah and the others who worked with him did when they were rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. It said that they didn't even take off their clothes or their armor. They slept already prepared in case the battle were to come upon them in the night. So these things are things that we have already acquired or that have already been given to us. But the phrase that Paul uses regarding these other pieces of the armor are not past tense. They are present tense. They are something that we are to do. He says in verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the others are, are, are positional, but these are situational. This shield of faith, this helmet of salvation, this sword of the spirit, these are the things that we take up when it is time to engage in the battle. Now, because of this, we recognize that Paul is not simply speaking of salvation when he refers to the helmet of salvation, because you can't have the belt of truth or the breastplate of righteousness or feet that are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace unless you are already saved. So if he was speaking simply of our salvation, this helmet would have been part of the first set of armor, not the second set. 
We as believers are already saved. But here's the key. We don't always act like we were, and we all don't always think as though we were. In other words, sometimes our attitudes and our actions do not match the reality of our position as individuals who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he isn't simply saying that we need to be saved. He is saying that we need to recognize that we are saved. It isn't simply our salvation that is being referred to here, but it is the hope of our salvation. Because you see, salvation is not only past tense. Salvation is past tense, it is present tense, and it is future tense. In other words, we were saved when we were born again. We are being saved as we walk through this world, and one day we shall be saved when he comes again for his church. And it is that future position, that hope of our salvation, that I believe Paul is referring to when he speaks of taking up the helmet of salvation. Now, I want you to think about why it is important to have that helmet firmly upon your head. Why it's important to get that thing strapped on nice and tight. Because when something hits you, it may knock off your helmet, in a manner of speaking. If you're on the football field, have you ever seen a hit so hard that it knocked the guy's helmet off? Right? Well, if a guy gets hit so hard that it knocked his helmet off, odds are it may not have been strapped on the way it should have been. In other words, sometimes life can hit us so hard that we lose sight of the fact that we're saved. We lose sight of the fact that we're being saved and we lose sight of the fact that we will be saved and we react not in a spiritual manner, but in a carnal one. Amen? Now, we need to remember as we think about this armor that we have an enemy. And it is important for us to recognize what that enemy is like and what that enemy wants to do. And I think a very, very, very good example of this can be found in Psalms chapter 140. So turn there with me, if you will. Psalm 140. In Psalm 140, David writes, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. Now, David is speaking of men and he is personifying this enemy that he is speaking of. But we recognize from our study of Ephesians that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness, amen? So though our enemies may be manifested in human form, the reality is the one that we do battle with is the enemy of our souls, Satan himself. And if you look at this description that David gives, you'll see that it fits perfectly with who we know Satan to be. He is a violent individual. He plans evil things in his heart. He brings people together for war. He sharpens tongues like a serpent because he is a serpent and there is poison under his tongue. Aren't all those things true of our enemy? 
Well, David goes on and he says, keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have purposed to make my steps stumble. What does the enemy want your steps to do? He wants them to stumble. He wants you to stumble. The proud have hidden a snare for me in cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set traps for me. Satan sets traps for us all through this life, doesn't he? It is his desire to bring us into bondage. But look at what David writes here in verses six and seven. He said, I said to the Lord, you are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord, O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. What do we use to cover our head? It is a helmet, isn't it? It is the helmet of salvation. And it protects us against the attacks, against the schemes, and against the traps that the enemy sets for us. You see, the enemy sets traps for you because he wants to get your eyes off of heaven and onto your circumstances. He wants to get your eyes off of God's kingdom and onto these fleshly desires that we have in this world that are going to to distract us from the best that God has for us. Amen? His desire, the plans and the traps and the wicked schemes that he lays for us are intended to draw us away from the Lord and out of his peace. But God is our strength. He is the strength of our salvation. And according to verse seven, he has covered our head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. As for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits that they rise not up again. Let not a slanderer be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. Now this helmet that we speak of, this helmet of salvation, this covering for our head that the Lord gives us so that we might be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy is first mentioned in Isaiah chapter 59. Turn there with me if you will. Isaiah chapter 59. Now Isaiah It would be very easy to read this entire chapter because it is so very, very applicable, but I'll let you read it on your own later on if you'd like. Mark that place in your Bible, Isaiah 59, but I want to read just a little bit from the beginning and from the middle and then the end, just a little bit. It begins with the words, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. And it goes on. It goes on to describe the state of the nation of Israel at the time of Isaiah's writing, and it goes on to describe the heart and the mind and the attitude of the godless person or the self-righteous person who claims holiness and righteousness, but in reality has no regard for either. It says here in verse 15 that truth fails 
And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. And we realize that this is the world that we live in today. Those who stand for righteousness are painting a target on themselves so that the enemy may attack them. And those who live in this world, according to this worldly wisdom, they will attack and criticize. And verse 15 goes on to say that the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man And he wondered that there was no intercessor. In other words, God looked at this world and he said, you know what? There's no one here to stand in the gap. There's no one here to stand for righteousness or truth. There's no one here that can pay the price for this people. And so what did he do? Verse 16, the second half of it says, therefore his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. Here we have the armor of God and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. But look at verse 20. It says, the redeemer shall come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. So the Lord himself placed upon his own head that helmet of salvation. Why? Because he needed to be saved? No, because he had come to save us. And that helmet of salvation, that mind that was in Christ is to be the same mind that is in us. Philippians tells us all about that. It says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. It talks of his humility and his sacrifice. It talks of him setting aside his glory and becoming a man, a servant, and submitting himself even unto death, even unto death upon the cross. And it tells us that the same mind that was in him is the mind that is to be in us. Well, his mind was made up that he had come to save us. Our mind needs to be made up that he has come to save us, amen? And that he who came to save us has surely and will surely succeed, amen? That he will accomplish the purpose for which he came. Now, the word salvation, I'm going to talk about the word salvation for a moment. It means, or is rather in the Greek, soteria. And in a physical sense, it means material and temporal deliverance from danger and apprehension. In other words, it means someone saving you, right? Salvation is being saved, But in a spiritual sense, there are some nuanced meanings. And Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words has some really helpful things to say about this word soteria. I'm going to read a few of these passages to you. It speaks of the spiritual and eternal deliverance that is granted immediately by God to those who accept his conditions of repentance and hope in the Lord Jesus, in whom alone it is to be obtained. In other words, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we put our hope and our trust in him, when we confess him as our Lord and Savior, salvation for us is instantaneous. It happens immediately. You are 
saved. Or looking back on that experience, we can say, you have been saved. You were saved. When you believed in Christ, you were saved. Romans 10.10 speaks of it when it says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In other words, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then in that moment you are saved. In that moment, it can, can be said of you, looking back on it, that you have been saved. In other words, you have been justified. It has been set to account that the debt for your sin has been paid by him. Amen? God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible tells us that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you have confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have been saved. But as Vines points out, it is not only a past experience. It is also a present experience. Salvation is the, presence, the present experience of God's power to deliver from the bondage of sin. You see, God didn't simply save us from the penalty of sin, but he is saving us today, right now, from the power of sin being exhibited or manifested in our lives. Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 2. Now, I referenced this verse a few minutes ago, but we're going to start there and go a little bit further. In verse 5, Paul writes, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, because Jesus Christ is Lord, because every knee will bow and every tongue confess, because he set aside his glory and came to earth to save us from our sins, because of that, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Now, wait a second. I thought I was already saved. If I was already saved, then why do I need to work out my own salvation? What does that mean? Well, what that means is the reality of your justification is a past 
thing. It has happened, okay? But we need now to move into that reality in our present experience. In other words, we need to demonstrate our justification through what is referred to as sanctification. Justification is salvation in the past tense. Sanctification is salvation in the present tense. It is what we experience walking through this life day by day. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In other words, my sanctification, my liberty and freedom from the power of sin is simply the working out or the demonstration in my own life of the justification that God has already accomplished in me through the cross. In other words, as Paul said in Ephesians, I'm to walk worthy of the calling with which I have been called. To put off the old man and to put on the new. To walk, as John says in his first epistle, in the light as he is in the light. Amen? Now, to walk in the light doesn't mean to walk free from sin. It means to be honest about your sin. And that when you stumble and fall and you sin, you come to Christ that he might cleanse you, that he might forgive you for your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So this walking in the light, this continually coming to Christ for the cleansing of our sins is the ongoing practice of our sanctification and is the revelation of the ongoing presence of the salvation that God is working in and through our lives. But not only is salvation past tense in the sense of our justification, and not only is it present tense in the sense of our sanctification, but it is also a future hope. It is something that is going to be accomplished through our glorification when we are in the presence of God Almighty. When we stand before Jesus Christ and see him as he is, when we know him even as we are known. Amen. The Bible says, we don't know what we will be like, but this we know, when we see him, we will be like him. Well, how is he? What is he like? He is without sin. And that means that when we stand before him and we're in his presence, we also will be without sin. So our justification, salvation in the past tense, saved us from the penalty of sin. We were forgiven and given eternal life. Sanctification is the revelation of salvation in the present tense as it works in our lives and we walk in holiness being transformed into the very image of Christ. But glorification is salvation in the future tense, that hope of glory that we have, that we will be united with him. Vines puts it this way. It says that salvation is the future deliverance of believers at the coming of Christ. This salvation is our confident hope. Amen. It is our confident hope. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. In Romans chapter 13, we'll pick up the narrative here in in, in verse 8, in which Paul writes, Owe no one anything except to love one another. 
For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this knowing the time that now... It is high time to awake out of sleep. Now, I want to pause for just a moment there. If someone is already awake, do they need to wake out of sleep? No, they're already awake, aren't they? So Paul is writing to the Romans and ostensibly to us, and he is saying, all right, people, wake up. You are asleep. And may I say that as believers even, we spend so much of our lives asleep. Now, I'm not talking about physical sleep. I'm talking about mental sleep. We are lulled to sleep by the background noise of our lives. There are so many other things that invade our brain that that yearn and scream and demand our attention that we are distracted and we are unconscious of the realities of the battle that is waging or raging rather around us. And Paul is saying, listen, people, it is time to wake up. It's time to wake up to the reality of the spiritual nature of the world in which we live. He says again, In verse 11, and do this knowing the time. In other words, recognizing what's going on in the world around us and being aware of what's going on around us. Do this knowing the time that now it is high time. Or in other words, man, it's about time to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now, if you are saved the moment you believe, then what could he possibly be referring to when he says your salvation is nearer than when you first believe? You see, he isn't speaking of salvation in the past tense or in the present tense. He's speaking of a salvation that is yet to happen. So what is the salvation he's speaking of? He's talking not about our redemption, but about our total reclamation by God that we will be not only in in his family, but that we will be in his presence. Amen? He's saying the time of our Lord's coming is closer now than it was when we first believed. So because of that fact, because Jesus Christ is coming soon, and here's the thing. Some people say, well, he's coming soon. And other people say, well, he may not come for a long time yet. But here's the fact, okay? This is just a fact. You can't dispute this fact. His coming is closer today than it was yesterday. Amen? And every day we get closer to it, not further from it. And so he's saying, listen, our salvation, in other words, the coming of Jesus Christ to receive us unto himself is closer today than it has ever been before. So keeping that in mind, he's saying the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Now think about this. He's talking to believers, isn't he? That means that we, as believers, still have works of darkness that are present in our lives, 
And Paul is telling us, listen, Christ is coming soon. You need to get rid of that stuff. You need to set that thing aside so that you can focus on the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You see, our flesh is truly a thing of the past, but so many of us keep on living in it. And God doesn't want us living in the past. He wants us living in the present and moving toward the future. Amen. He wants us to put aside those works of darkness, to recognize that we've been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. He wants us to put off those old works, those things we used to do, those attitudes, actions, beliefs, and behaviors that made us enemies of God. And he wants us to put on Jesus Christ that we might become more and more like him. Why? Because the time of our redemption draweth nigh. Amen? Because he is coming soon. And his coming is sooner today than it was yesterday. And it'll be sooner tomorrow than it is today, should he not come between now and then. And as we draw near to the time of our redemption, our hearts and our minds should be filled with the hope of our salvation. The hope of our salvation, friends, is the helmet of salvation. What is the helmet that is part of that armor that you wear? It is the hope of the salvation that is coming to you at the appearance of Jesus Christ. Because you have been saved and you are being sanctified, but one day you will be glorified. And that is the hope that we look to that protects us from the attacks of the enemy. Why? Because I can endure anything for the moment if I know relief is coming in the morning. Amen? Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 for another example of this reality. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter four, starting in verse 13, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism for who have what? Who have died, that's right. He said, lest, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For we believe, or rather if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. In other words, those who are dead in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. In other words, Paul says, I'm not speaking on my own behalf, but this is the word of God that I'm about to share with you. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be 
with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That word caught up is harpasso in the Greek and rapture in the Latin. That's where we get the word rapture from. And that is what is being spoken of here. And then he goes on in verse one of chapter five to say, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. In other words, you don't know when it's coming. I don't know when it's coming, but trust me, it is coming. He says, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Now the them is not us. The them is those who do not believe and have not received the grace that is abundantly available. Those who have rejected Christ and who have rejected his word, they are the ones who say peace and safety, and they are the ones upon whom sudden destruction will come, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Have you ever noticed that? Many of you ladies have had children before. You're pregnant. You know that the time is coming when you are going to give birth, right? And you know that it's coming soon because the third trimester is upon you. But there is a moment at which you are not in labor. You're pregnant, but you're not in labor. And then suddenly, suddenly something changes and you are in labor. How many of you who were pregnant knew when you had entered into labor? Anybody who didn't realize that they were in labor? No, it's like when that happens, there's a change, right? There's a shift. There's something that has transpired that has changed your circumstance from being pregnant to being in labor. And that's how suddenly, how unexpectedly the coming of the Lord will occur in the day that he returns for his church. And he says, but you brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. You see, we are to be looking for, praying for, and to the greatest degree of our ability, hastening the day of his return. You say, how do I hasten the day of his return? By sharing the gospel. Because a day is coming when that last sinner will be saved, the one upon whom all of heaven is waiting. And when that moment comes, Christ will return for his church. So how do we hasten the day of his coming? We do it by sharing the gospel. He says in verse seven, for those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober. In other words, be serious minded. Take the reality of this situation seriously. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You see, the helmet of our salvation is the helmet of our future salvation and the hope that we have in the soon return of Jesus Christ. And when we engage in the battle against an enemy who wants to destroy us, we can look him in the eye and say, oh, just you wait. Jesus is coming. Amen. I love it. There's a song. Um, there's a song that Carmen used to sing and I can't remember it off the top of my head. This just came to my mind, but it says, you know, when the devil tells you about where you've been, you just tell him about where he's going. Amen. For God did not appoint us to wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, in other words, whether we live or die, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. Listen, friends, the helmet of salvation is the hope of our salvation. It is the recognition, your mind, right? It is getting it into your head that this world is not your home. It is getting it into your head that Christ is coming again for you. That whatever you suffer, whatever slanders are thrown against you, they are for the moment and they are passing away because God has saved you. You were justified. He is saving you. You're being sanctified. And the day is coming when he will glorify you. In other words, you will be glorified in heaven with him. You will be saved. You have been saved. You're being saved and you're going to be saved. Amen. That is how we strap that helmet down and we let our mind be like the mind of Christ that looks at what he's going to do and declares that it has already been done. Amen. Amen. One last passage, if you'll turn with me, maybe two, but at least one. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, I want to start in verse 3, in which Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory of God at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end or the, the goal, right? The aim, as it were, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching out what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering. The things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. Therefore, Gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, get your head on straight. In other words, tighten up your thinking. Don't be distracted by the things of this world. Don't take your eyes off the salvation that has been promised to you, but keep your eyes fixed firmly upon Jesus Christ and all that he has done for you and all that he is going to do for you. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon your ability to keep the law 
upon your church attendance, upon your tithing record, upon the fact that you're a good person? No, none of those things. Those are not the things that our hope rests upon, but rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So where is our hope? Our hope is in God's grace and in the salvation that is being brought to us at his revelation. Now, how do we respond to that? Verse 14 tells us, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. In other words, don't do the things that you used to do when you didn't know that you shouldn't do them. But now that you do know, now that the grace of God has been poured out in your life, now that you recognize the fact that you were saved, are being saved, and will be saved, conform your conduct to that recognition. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts is in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call, on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified yourselves in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Friends, we have the hope of salvation because our salvation was purchased, not with corruptible things like gold or silver that tarnishes, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So let's keep our eyes set on him, amen? Let's keep in our mind the hope of our salvation so that when the enemy comes against us, when he lays traps and snares for us, we will be fully equipped for the battle. Not in our own armor, but in the full armor of God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for giving us the gift of salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you've redeemed us and that we now belong to you, that we've been justified by your blood that was shed for us, the payment for our sins. Lord, we thank you for the sanctifying presence of your Holy Spirit that works in and through us every day. Lord, help us to walk in the reality of our salvation today, setting aside the works of the flesh and putting upon ourselves the Lord Jesus Christ that we might no longer be conformed to this world, but that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ. Lord, and help us to walk into the battle. Help us to walk through the war that is being waged, fully awake and aware of the hope of salvation 
that you have given us that we might be able to stand against all the wiles of the devil and never be deceived. Glorify yourself in us, those who have been called by your name, who were saved by the shedding of your blood and who look forward to our redemption upon your return. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.